Hey, this week we're looking at the seven deadly sins which can wipe out your earnings as a self-employed consultant or business owner. And recently, someone I knew, not her real name, Sarah, we'll call her, was a training consultant with a flourishing business, but she neglected to pay attention to some factors which were silently killing her profits. She failed to control her overhead costs, which meant that they skyrocketed unnecessarily. She overlooked the impact on her pricing and profitability from competition. She underestimated the importance of scoping projects properly, which meant that she often took on vague and uncertain projects, resulting in unexpected expenses and lower profitability. And as time slipped away, she failed to accurately track the amount of time that she was putting into things. She didn't track her billable hours, which left her unaware of unprofitable projects. And this is quite harsh. It happens to a surprising number of people. And her once thriving consultancy now is closed. She's gone back into a full-time job. True story. The number of businesses that don't make it past the 12-month mark is quite staggering. It's quite sobering. And there are some interesting statistics over on websites like the Small Business Association of America. And this is something that came up if you've read the book, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. It's well worth a read, by the way. It reminds people of the fact that very often, despite great people and great ideas, the business model uh, doesn't work. And over the course of 12 months, what looked promising suddenly fades away. And that has a huge impact, not just financially, but also on your self-confidence. And I don't want to think about how what that's done to damage Sarah's self-confidence. And this is something we're going to address this week together. The seven deadly sins that can wipe out your earnings as a self-employed consultant or business owner. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hey, welcome to the show. This is the Training Business Podcast. My name is Mark, and this is the weekly show for self-employed consultants, trainers, coaches, people like you and me around the world. And the focus is on the business of you and me making money from our programs, our experience, our insights, our workshops, courses, keynotes, books, all the things that generate attention and interest the things that we sell to people and make money from. And I'm a self-employed trainer. I'm also the co-owner of a coaching business, helping sales organizations around the world to coach. And over the years, I have made every single mistake you can think of. And many of these ideas are the kinds of reasons why I have guests on the show to help you with overcoming these mistakes and shortcomings. And they're really great episodes. I've learned so much over nearly 250 episodes on all the kinds of things that work and don't work. And I'd love you to listen and subscribe every single week. So if you've not yet done so, please click on follow or subscribe to be notified of great episodes as they come out. This week, we're going to look at the seven deadly sins, which can wipe out your earnings as a self-employed consultant or business owner. And one of the reasons that I'm addressing this is because very shortly I have to submit my annual return, which means that my business, which is a limited company, has to provide a series of documents and accounts to my accountant. 
And when I look at the year, there are some pleasant surprises, but there are also some uh, unpleasant surprises. And I'm reminded of a couple of things which some of us, in fact, a lot of us don't pay attention to. And the reason that consulting or training, coaching can be a fragile business is because, well, three key reasons. First of all, there is lots of competition out there, right? The consulting industry, for you and me as consultants, as trainers, as coaches, is quite competitive. And this leads to price pressures and lower profit margins. Secondly, there's a lot of uncertainty in what we do because people often have a specific need for a specific intervention or a specific program. And it isn't like a cookie cutter where you can predict exactly everything that's involved. We try to, but often there are complexities or uncertainties in projects. And these result in scope changes, in delays, in additional unforeseen costs which impact profitability. And the third reason, often for fragile profit margins in our business, is time-based billing. Many of us often bill clients based upon the hours or the project duration. And when project scopes change, um, there is an impact on profit margins. Sometimes things take longer. Uh, there are more things involved, more people who need to be hired or consulted. And this might require more resources than anticipated, which of course leads to lower profitability. So let's think about a couple of things which often lead to lower profitability. These are things which can wipe out your earnings. The first thing is over-reliance on a single client. The second thing is neglecting recurring expenses. Number three is mispricing your services. Number four is inefficient client acquisition. Number five is scope creep without compensation. Number six is inefficient financial management. And number seven, the tax avalanche. Right, let's go through those together today. The first one is over-reliance on a single client. I've been guilty of this. Maybe you have too. We are super dependent on one client. We almost fall in love with the fact that we've signed up a particular brand and we're so anxious to keep them happy and to say to everyone, hey, look, this is the client that I've signed up with. And isn't this great? And we think that then everything we do needs to be, um, I suppose, shaped around them. And having this dependency on one client can make your profits really vulnerable, okay? It's really important that we diversify our client base. No matter how attractive a particular logo or brand is, let's say it's a, a fast food company that you're providing leadership training to or marketing or, or some kind of compliance training, you really want to ensure that you're diversifying. You're not over-aligned on one particular client. And I know this because some businesses have as much as 40% of their revenue tied up to one particular logo or brand. Think of the impact if that client walks or if they're acquired or there's a merger or someone changes a role or leaves the business. And all of a sudden, um, that relationship that you had is gone and you are hyper vulnerable to changes. All of a sudden, you don't have that business stream anymore. What do you do? So a couple of questions to ask yourself here. One, have I put too many eggs in one basket with a single client? Question two, am I actively seeking new clients and opportunities every single year? Okay, even if you, everything's going well, are you actively seeking new clients and opportunities? Three, what can I do to make my client base more diverse? Okay, that's the first thing. 
Number two today is neglecting recurring expenses. This is huge because these days, many, many pieces of software, whether it's accounting platforms or marketing or, you know, apps, they are very, very cleverly priced. They know what they're doing. They know exactly how to draw you in and get you to whip out the card, the credit card and subscribe. And so there's a huge cumulative effect over a 12-month time frame on your profitability of having subscriptions and expenses unchecked. Okay, you could subscribe to something thinking, oh, it's only $30 a month, but times 12 and then five such subscriptions times five, that could be a huge chunk of money. And where you think you're bringing in great projects, you you are, but all of a sudden in the background, unrealized, there are effects on your profitability because these expenses are actually killing the numbers. And I've seen this where I go, oh my goodness, I can't believe there's so much going out every month on some kind of software or five or six different subscriptions, or I'm not staying in cheaper hotels, or I'm not taking cheaper flights. Um, And all of these things that you think you need for the business, you may not need for the business. All of these things that you're actually paying for, you may not actually need right now or yet. So a couple of questions to ask yourself here. Do I regularly review my expenses quarterly? Okay, not annually, but quarterly to identify areas of waste. Number two, are there subscriptions right now or services which I can, should, and need to eliminate or downgrade? I'm sure there are. I can say that for sure for me. There are a couple of things I'm going to cancel, in fact, this weekend. And question three, how can I be more proactive in managing my recurring expenses? It's disappointing when you reach the end of a financial year and look back and go, I wish I had taken that off my credit card sooner, or I wish I'd paid attention to this number sooner, and now I can't do anything about this. So a quarterly check-in or health check on your business, where am I actually finding huge amounts of outgoings? Are there red lines, red numbers, where I should be concerned about the number um, and what am I going to do about this? perhaps with your partner, with your family members, with your loved ones, you know, bring other people into this and ask them to think about where you think or where they think you can actually reduce outgoings. Neglecting recurring expenses is a big profit killer. Number three, mispricing your services. There are significant consequences for setting your rates incorrectly. First of all, you might set them too low, which sends out the wrong message. And you're doing huge amounts of work, but not for the right profitability, or you're overpricing and you're killing your price in the marketplace and losing clients. So we want neither of those. We want to properly price our services so that on the one hand, they make money for us and of course, cover our outgoings, our expenses and make some money when in terms of profit. But also they're, they're attractive to the extent that people think we're good value for money and we deliver what they're paying for. So there's a a nice medium to be found between overpricing and underpricing. If you're mispricing, if you're charging too little, there's a danger you're not making enough money based upon your experience and your credibility and value. But equally, if you're um, overpricing, you're just not in the marketplace for people who can who want to work with you, they can't afford you. And it's the same thing, really. You're not making as enough money and or as much money as you need to. And that has a huge impact 
on surviving. So a couple of questions to ask yourself here. Have I researched the market to understand pricing in my marketplace in your niche area? Two, is the value that I'm providing to clients reflected in my pricing? Great question. Is the value I provide to clients reflected in my pricing? And question three, am I flexible and open to adjusting my prices based upon client customization? Maybe you are, maybe you're not. Maybe you want to go with off-the-shelf off pricing, or maybe you want to go with dynamic pricing based upon individual projects. Sometimes you actually need both. Next one, profit killer four, is inefficient client acquisition. Inefficient client acquisition. Client acquisition means how do you actually get new leads? How do you convert them into clients? And what does it cost to do so? These days, because we work in a competitive business, there are high costs associated with particular channels or avenues to new client acquisition. Perhaps you're paying a fortune for Google ads or Facebook ads. Perhaps you're running expensive webinars. Perhaps you're flying a lot to events to deliver keynotes. Perhaps you're sponsoring some summits or something. And all of these, at some point, I've tried, and some have worked better than others. I can't say to you which of these is right for you. I know that in my experience, one or two of them are really successful, but it depends on the product, and it depends on the niche, and it depends on the industry. It's very hard to say, but you have to work out where your client acquisition costs are reasonable and perhaps where they're too high. You have to work out the ROI on that. Okay, is it more efficient? Is there higher return on investment by using ads online? Or is it best for you to turn up face-to-face and do a book launch or sponsor an event? You have to work this out. And so this is where you might need some advice or some expert insight from people who will say, actually, this is how you can work this out. And there are different models for doing this. But somehow you've got to figure out what is the most expensive way to do client acquisition and eliminate that. What is the least efficient or productive way and eliminate that and find the thing that actually brings you in high quality, high paying leads for the least amount of money outgoing. That makes sense, right? But sometimes we're not clear on that because we're desperate to try anything and everything to bring bring people in to your business, understandably. So the couple of questions to ask yourself here are these. One, am I tracking properly the effectiveness of my client acquisition efforts? Am I tracking the effectiveness of my client acquisition efforts? Number two, how can I leverage my existing network for referrals? Because often that's a highly productive and low-cost way to get more clients. Okay, referrals are very powerful. They're more believable, credible, and they're more likely to be productive. Not always, but in my experience, yes. Referrals every time. It saves me having to spend money on ads and sponsorships and so on, but not always possible. So if we can, we have to spend money on some kind of um, general outreach. Again, sponsoring podcasts or summits, that kind of thing, or book launches and so on. Over time, though, we build more of a referral network. So can you find out which of those is possible for you, which of these is most efficient for you, and which of these is the least expensive for you? And number three, question three, are there more cost-effective ways to attract new clients that you've not yet thought of? And there are. You know, perhaps you've not tried webinars. Some people have, some people haven't. I would want you to keep an open mind here and say, how can I find out what's right for me? It doesn't just sound good. It's easy to run. It's low cost and it's very productive. Okay. 
Profit killer number five is scope creep without compensation. This happens to us all. Again, we work with a client. They like us. We like them. We like the work. It's working well. And all of a sudden, someone says, could you do this as well? Could you train these people as well? Um, could we include this as well? And all of a sudden, that begins to creep. And scope creep is when the agreed parameters, which were defined and signed off, are, are expanded but unless we actually charge for that, this will impact on your profits. And some of us are uncomfortable pushing back. We don't want to say no to people. And when I interviewed Selena Rizvani about two years ago now, she talked about the way that she managed this, that conversation with clients. When people ask for something, she immediately comes back with a response which reminds people that everything they do or want from you requ it requires a price it's got to be priced. If you say yes too readily to people, they'll keep on asking you for things. It makes sense. So we train people how to treat us. So think about how you negotiate with people. That's the word negotiate when they ask for customizations or additions or uh, reductions or something. What is the quid pro quo? Okay. So ask yourself a couple of questions here. Are my contracts clear on the scope of work and compensation for additional work? Number two, how can I communicate more effectively with clients about scope changes, the procedure, the SOP, okay? If you want this from me, this is what happens. This is how we agree it. This is how we sign it off. And this is how it's charged, okay? If you say yes to people without agreeing compensation, it's very hard subsequently to try and factor that back in because they might say, well, you never told me there was a charge for this. And do I have a process in place to renegotiate contracts when necessary, okay? Keep real attention on this one. It happens to us all in, in projects, working with people. Someone's taken off a project. Someone's put on a project. People are away. And can you put this person in instead? Oh, can we add this team in as well? And that uh, leads to ballooning costs very, very quickly. Number six is inefficient financial management. And this is not my area of expertise, but I know that cash flow management is super important. There will be months in the year when invoices are going out, and then there is 30, 40, 60, 90 days before money comes in. Unless there is that cash flow, ebb and flow, where money's coming in to cover you, your salary, your outgoings, you go into the red very quickly. And this happens, and this is why cash flow is the lifeblood of every business. It's great to have assets, okay, but you must be able to convert things into cash to pay yourself, to meet your bills, to pay your taxes. So the questions to ask yourself here are, what are my strengths? Do I have a clear understanding of my cash flow? Am I using financial tools or resources to help manage my finances efficiently? Well, I don't know, are you? I used to do things on spreadsheets. Nowadays, that's just insane. I use a product like Xero, which is software to actually allow me to send invoices and it generates a balance sheet, profit and loss statements, all that stuff. And you'd expect that these days because we live in the 21st century. Why anyone would manage their receipts in, in spreadsheets is beyond me. Um, I think it's too much work to do that. So I want to work with software, whether it's QuickBooks or Xero or something else, which helps me to manage my finances efficiently and have a clear understanding of what's coming in, what's going out, what hasn't been paid yet. And some software will send reminders to clients if invoices haven't been paid. And you can have that confidence that you have a full picture 
of what things are looking like, not just right now, but next quarter, next month. And you can begin to see where the shortfalls are in your income. And if you know you've got lots of outgoings, let's say in October, but you haven't got money coming in to cover those outgoings till February, well, can you survive that? Great question, okay? And sometimes a difficult question to accept because we want to think that something will come in, but the black and white cold reality is that that's not how finances work. Do we have enough money to cover outgoings, to pay yourself, to pay your expenses, subscriptions, etc.? So think of the impact on your business and its survivability if you haven't a clear understanding of my cash flow, of your cash flow. And lastly, how can I learn to make smarter financial decisions? You might want to spend some time with a tax advisor, financial advisor, or an accountant. And that leads me nicely to number seven today, which is the tax avalanche. That's profit killer number seven. This has happened to me too. We Sometimes as self-employed people, we, we're still thinking like we're employees. We still think like we're someone working with this regular paycheck coming in, and we overlook the fact that at some point, the government, uh, the state, the municipality will want to be paid too. So every month, there's a particular number that has to go out from, from my account to the government. End of story. It's non-negotiable. It has to, co- it has to come from somewhere. And that I'm prepared for, but I wasn't initially because I was thinking about the money coming in, not thinking about the money that has to go out. And there's one body that you do not argue with, and that's the government, because the tax authority, whether it's uh, revenue or the Department of Finance, whatever that name is for you and your jurisdiction, those people want their money. And that's got to come from your business, okay? And perhaps from you as employee tax. This is not my area of strength, but I know that I've got to consult people who know more than this than, than I do about this. And it has me flustered sometimes because I'm overlooking the impact three months from now on this huge tax bill, which has to be paid. So I know that numbers are not my thing necessarily in terms of, of taxes. This is where software can help. It's also where you have to bring in experts and it's important to recognize that not everything can be done by you. If you're trying to do your taxes and your marketing and your sales and your product design and your proposals and your delivery, that is a huge amount of work. And when you're working as an employee, there are different departments in your employer that takes care of these things. And there's a couple of things that I would not take care of because I want to entrust them to outside experts, okay? In the same way, I don't do my own health. I I have a doctor, Okay, some things I'll go to a dermatologist for. I will not try and diagnose my own illnesses. I don't think that's intelligent at all. In the same way, there are some things which are so critical, you should not be doing these yourself. And this is where you bring in an accountant or a bookkeeper or a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Okay, so a couple of questions to ask yourself here in terms of profitability. Am I setting aside money for taxes or planning for tax payments, whether it's municipal or state, or national. Two, have I explored all the possible tax deductions available to me or not? And it's surprising how many schemes exist, particularly for new businesses. And it's amazing how many people aren't aware that these schemes exist. There could be cheaper ways to start up, to open an office. There might be some, I know that for a fact, here in Europe, there are some countries which are very attractive rates for new businesses of particular kinds. 
And some people have moved countries to take advantage of that. So ask yourself, is it intelligent to run your business from your jurisdiction or your state or your city? Are there deductions or schemes available to you which you're not taking advantage of but could take advantage of? Have you explored those? Have you asked about uh, working from home uh, tax deductions? Are you conscious of um, the kinds of schemes where you can invest in equipment or people? All of these will increase your profitability and reduce your outgoings. And number three, what kind of tax professionals should you engage to optimize your tax strategy? Tax has to be paid, but there are ways of being clever about this. And I know, again, two two people whom I not mention who were unaware of the tax avalanche coming after one or two years in business and the impact it had, not just professionally, but also in terms of relationships, because that had a significant impact on on, um, money for the household. Let's put it that way. You don't want this happening to you. So in summary today, keep an eye on those seven things. You want to be aware of those seven things which can wipe out your earnings as a consultant. One, first of all, over-reliance on a single client. Two, neglecting recurring expenses. Number three, mispricing your services. Number four, inefficient client acquisition. Number five, scope creep without relevant or adequate compensation. Number six, inefficient financial management. And number seven, the tax avalanche. Taxes are, as they say, unavoidable. And um, all of these things can lead to decreased profitability. And this is really, um, it's really, it's really unfortunate when it happens to people because we are experts. We know our uh, areas well. We're we're helpful to our clients. They like us. They hire us. They rehire us. But you're running a business, and for goodness' sake, you've got to keep an eye on these profit killers. If you don't, the consequences can be quite serious. That's it for this week's episode of the Training Business Podcast. Please tune in next Thursday for a fresh episode. My team, Sam, Joe, James, Turul, Christine, Ignasi, and I always appreciate your loyalty and listenership. Please tell other people about the show. And for goodness sake, if you've got episode suggestions or guests you want to recommend, please drop me a line, mark at trainingbusiness.com. I'd be delighted to reply to you with any answers I can get, or if there are uh, people I can refer you to, I'm quite happy to do that. And if you've got suggestions, as I said, for subjects or people to interview, please let me know. Until next Thursday, keep going. Speak to you soon. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.